Welcome back to Who's Filmographies? And anyway, folks, the show where we talk about filmographies. This week, we are continuing our dark rabbit hole down uh, Bong Joon-ho. And uh, we are here with the 2006 monster movie, The Host. As always, I am your co-host, Josh Page. And with me, as always, my co-host and friend, Steve Molina. Crazy, weird monsters from the disgusting rivers here. This is... It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. It's going to be wild. It's going to be, I feel, a very uh, COVID-friendly episode. I was actually pretty impressed with some of the... Actually, I was not impressed with some of the COVID response here in this movie. Like, there's a huge virus, like, supposed virus breaking out in the city that you're in, and yet people are outside and, like, just walking about, taking off their masks and spitting in a puddle. Yeah, it's totally unrealistic. I mean, obviously, if there was a real virus and, you know, people would be being responsible and they'd wear their masks and they would social distance and they wouldn't be out in public, you know, it's, you it's obvious. You it's common, common sense. But no, we're not here to talk about, you know, viruses and pandemics. We're here to talk about uh, uh, the host, you know, we're here to talk about a, a monster movie. So let's... Monsters. Let's yeah, Bong Joon-ho takes a, another big turn from this one. Absolutely. This is crazy. His... Uh, his ability to go from genre to genre is actually staggering. Um, it really is. I mean, just to recap the folks at home who may have not joined us, um, we did. Uh, we started with Barking Dogs Never Bite. Which uh, is a, very, a dark comedy. A very indie dark comedy. It's very straightforward. There's a couple main characters, and they go back and forth, and there's a lot of dogs' lives at stake. Although, no to, uh, actual dogs were harmed or making the film as the movie opens. And then it we, we continue with Memories of Murder, those who may have joined us last week, which is a very dark, kind of like mystery ne- neo-noir crime mystery thriller. And man, that was a banger. And it was a... Uh, Steve and I both agreed last week it was a, a huge upgrade, both in budget, story, and everything. Yeah, um, and now we're at a monster movie that <laughs> is... Uh, just taking a just very... quite a different swing here. Yeah, so it's pretty it's pretty cool. And I said I had made a note last week, and I'll make this note throughout. Is that um, you know uh, Bong Joon Ho is very good at, in, at at changing genres, and which inspired um, one of our uh, awards from Steven, the uh, best genre event, because he's very good at making you think you're watching a comedy, and then it turns into a horror real quick, and then goes back to comedy. And so he's very good at just taking you in an in unexpected direction. So yeah. So, you ready to just jump right into the production and stuff? Let's, uh, let's go for it. All right. So, at the time of the release, this was the highest grossing movie in Korea. This film is actually kind of based in reality, kind of. In 2000, there was something called the McFarland case, where the U.S. military base threw toxins into the Han River, which is kind of interesting because last week we talked about memories of a murder and in that movie the cases were based on stuff that happened but it was a different take on it so Bong Joon-ho likes to mine from reality yeah well it's it's interesting because like I have the note here in Mr. McFarlane was ordered to dispose of formaldehyde by dumping it into the sewer system that led to the Han River, despite the objection of the South Korean uh, subordinate. So that opening of the movie, we'll, we'll get to it momentarily, is actually, it, it, you know, it's a real thing. Like that was a real, 
Yeah. I know it seems like the beginning of a disaster movie or something. You know something bad's going to happen. Well, but. that's funny because Bong Joon-ho said while it was a tragedy in real life, like it's a huge scandal, but he said it also felt like an opportunity for like a 50s sci-fi kind of film. It's so ironic that the time loop of, you know, uh, actual events inspiring movies that are inspired by other events and other movies kind of makes its way full circle because it really, like watching it, it feels like, like I said, it, it, it feels like something out of a movie. You know, they're having these conversations and one's like, no, we have to dump it. It's kind of like, it would lead to something like some kind of giant creature. I don't know. Like it just, yeah. they, it's, I, I, it's like pretty ironic. Bong Joon-ho's movies are always political, whether they are like upfront about it or not. And Bong Joon-ho said that protesting like at the end was a big part of his life. Because again, for those who didn't listen to the first episode, Bong Joon-ho protested while he was at college. And it, it was the protest that ultimately led to the uh, downfall of the military dictatorship that was running South Korea at the time. And during that time, he would literally, he said, he built petrobol bombs, petrol bombs, yeah. and stuff, which they do in this movie. So it's still very much a political movie, this. And it's also a huge commentary on America, not simply because of the formaldehyde that the U.S. military actually threw in there, but, uh, you know, Agent Yellow, which is the bomb that is used at the end, it's it's on the nose that that is comparable to Agent Orange, which was used in yep. Vietnam. Uh, mm-hmm. The end news channel flip, like at the very last scene, where the U.S. is, the CDC is uh, saying something exists when it really doesn't. That was a commentary on the Iraq war at the time. Because let's not forget why we went to war with Iraq. They supposedly had weapons of mass destruction, but it turns out they didn't. There's um what is it what is it they say like there's there's an enormous state of um like repetition in history that this that this movie reflects like kind of like like you're saying it's commentary on the things happening in America and you know um the media lying to the public and the the wars going on but at the same time like this movie's more kind of more relevant than ever because you know everything with with the virus and the pandemic and the american government system and the lies and corruption it's like kind of like this endless cycle where like this is one of those kind of movies that because it's got a literal metaphor of a monster um but all the inner workings of of the corrupt people behind what's going on is something that will be relatable to almost any generation moving forward until like you know um the crises, crises, whatever in the yeah. um, uh, I, uh, change. I don't remember the exact quote, but I think Martin Scorsese said something along the lines of, it's amazing how tales of corruption are always deemed uh, relevant. And that's just uh, very apt here. It's, so yeah. let's talk about the actual filming of the movie. Yeah, of course. So they actually filmed in the sewer of Korea in the Han River. They actually filmed in the sewers. They did not get naked, nor did they hold their clothing above their head. But (laughs) the actors had to be given tetanus shots before filming down there. Man. They said that the weather affected the filming completely down there because sometimes the water was so cold that the sewage would like freeze. 
Oh my God. And then other times it would be so hot that the water evaporated and there would be like the scent in the air because the sewage was also like kind of just like evaporating it with the air. So just not really where you want to be. See this, I mean, this goes back to, and I'll probably say this every week because of the dedication when and I was, I said this last week is the dedication of specifically of foreign filmmakers. Um, they take such a bold approach in ways that like American filmmakers often do not. I mean, there's bold American filmmakers, but like you look at, I look at foreign cinema and I'm like, they, these leaps that they take is kind of just in different ways. It's just very, for them, it may be very blunt or a matter of fact, but like, to literally put them in the sewers. I was wondering that watching, oh, that's a really good production value. This must've been a really, this is a pretty good set. Like thinking in the back of my mind, like a lot of this looks very real. So it almost doesn't surprise me that, you know, Bong is taking his crew down into the literal sewers. But I mean, you it works. a lot of I mean, good stuff down there. Yeah. There's a lot. <laughs> a lot of good stuff down there. A lot of good stuff down there, you know, but it's- Take it's, off it's, your it's, shoes. It's, it's kind of like clamming. <laughs> uh, the monster design, it took about a year and a half and about a thousand different concepts to get to the monster that they got to. Jeez. Bong Joon-ho said that he wanted it to look mutated but real. So nothing like a dragon, something that looks real. And the concept was based on a mutated fish that actually emerged from the Han River that had a curved spine. So that's kind of where they got the general shape of it. While we're on the monster, uh, uh, Bong and the de creature designer nicknamed it Steve Buscemi <laughs> on the actor's screen persona and the way that he acted in Fargo. So <laughs> that's funny. Big kudos to Steve Buscemi in Korea. Um, that is funny. And he designed all of the creature's movements himself, Bong did. Uh, he compared it to directing an actor. So yeah, uh, they must have put some, some heart and soul into that thing. He said that the size of the creature was also important because he didn't want something as big as Godzilla. Something that was like feasibly hiding in the sewers but has now made itself known. That makes sense because there's a point in bigger movies, bigger like especially disaster movies with like you have sizable monsters like Godzilla where they're knocking down buildings where it's kind of, there's only the a matter of, of time. But Right. There's only a matter of time before you can only hide the creature so much or, you know, uh, aircrafts get involved and start bombing and that's how you end up with you know um uh, you know godzilla 98 you know what i mean you got a yeah. rolling uh, blowing things up with 1998 cgi you know and it's just i don't know like there's only a matter of time before it's like all right we have to shrink down literally shrink down our our our, our focus here and then just get to what works and Sometimes, hiding the monster like, works in this movie. Don't get me wrong. I think Gareth Edwards did a good job with Godzilla. Oh, absolutely. But the Godzilla is way too big in that movie. Same with King Kong, the Kong Skull Island. And now they're going to fight in next year's, uh, in this year's Kong versus Godzilla or whatever Which it's will called. be uh, streaming HBO on Max. HBO Max later this year. <laughs> but I just feel like uh, both yeah, those no, creatures are too big. How are you going to have them fight and a city literally not be just completely obliterated? Unless well, that's the point, but that's stupid. Sorry to cut you up. That's, that's my problem with big monster movies in general, especially in this day and age where we've seen so many of them. And it's part of what I really like about Gareth Edwards' uh, first Godzilla movie. I didn't think of the monsters I heard things, but I, what I admired about 2014 Godzilla is that they took the Jaws approach, maybe too literally, but they hid Godzilla for most of the movie. So like, for me, it didn't matter that 
we didn't see much of Godzilla because there's there was all this suspense built around you know eventually seeing him I mean I don't think we see him full frame until halfway through the movie and I think that, I don't even remember but regardless of what people's opinions because I know that even that movie is very uh, mixed is that it's a good approach because you're not boring the audience with um, you know overwhelming imagery that they're going to get used to right away you know what I mean it's like yeah once you see too much of the thing, it's kind of it kind of takes away. It rubs off after a while. I, yeah, I didn't see the sequel to Godzilla, Godzilla King of Monsters King or whatever of, yeah, it was yeah. called. But it just looked like too much tuna oh, for me. It's a lot of tuna fish. I didn't anyway, see it. Anyway, this was the first time Bong Joon-ho actually uh, had a chance to work with CG technology because as we were talking about, the first two movies were relatively small or it wouldn't have made sense to, to incorporate cg into memories of a murder i mean maybe now there would be like touch-ups and stuff but it wouldn't have been a big cg movie so bong joon ho said he went to like every library and got every magazine that had anything to do with cg and taught himself visual effects the biggest problem wasn't learning it the biggest problem was the budget the movie had an 11 million dollar budget and the monster like in the original concept the art that he comes up with because as we mentioned in the last podcast he storyboards everything he has it all lined up so his first lineup had 160 visual effect shots of the monster that would have eaten up four to six million dollars worth of the 11 million dollar budget so that was a no-go he ultimately got it cut down to about 110 monster shots and bong like Josh alluded to earlier with Godzilla, Bong Joon-ho took the Jaws approach. He said he was inspired by that movie and how sparingly they used the shark. As always, we, you know, we'll tease our final thoughts early, but it's kind of like, it's one of those things that works best about the movie is it's the character you, you, you allude to, but then you're really focusing on the characters. And just to kind of segue, I guess, into whatever, unless you have more notes, is that what really does work versus like even the 2014 Godzilla is that the characters in this movie are incredibly well carved out. They're incre- I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I said, I like the characters in the 2014 Godzilla, but it's like... I don't um, even remember them. I just remember that in 2014... Elizabeth Olsen and Aaron Taylor Johnson or whatever his name is were married. And then the next year age of Ultron came out and they were brother brother and sister. sister. Yeah. I mean, it says a lot when, and I think it's is unanimous, but that the best character, best actor being the Brian Cranston. And then you uh, off him in the film. Barely in the movie too. He's in the first like half hour. And then he's and then he's gone. But, but he like, was like the big star at the time, so I remember they put him everywhere because it was Breaking around Bad Breaking Bad had ending. just ended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So, so all that to say is the characters and the host. Just to you know, uh, bring it back is that they're very um. And well, we'll that's get to truly. Them. Very I mean, we don't have to make this a Jaws podcast, but that's truly what makes Jaws a better movie than most too. We actually care about the all the characters. We care about anyway. Again, I don't want to make this a Jaws Oh, yeah, that's, that's what works, though. Yeah. The host was screened at the Toronto Film Festival, and Bong Joon-ho was, like, swarmed by American agents. And he had no idea what an agent even really was at the time. <laughs> he, I guess he didn't watch Entourage. But he left, this, he left the film festival with an agent, 
and apparently after the host came out, Hollywood scripts kept coming to him and they were all sci-fi monster movies. And Bong Joon-ho would show him off to his friends and say, look what they want me to do. And then just throw <laughs> it to the corner of his office. I and really just not look at it. I really admire, and he'll obviously keep coming up. I mean, we're covering him, but I really admire the more I learn about this guy as a person that he clearly just wants to do his own thing. Cause I can only imagine that he probably had some big, American executives offer him some huge deals for like more monster movies, more action movies and sci-fi, maybe even comic book movies and him just being like, no, I'm not interested. And eventually he did his own thing until it earned him the best picture. I don't even that that's what he was going for, but he clearly is, he's proving every three weeks in a row, he's proving that he's doing his own story every time he's doing the movies he wants to make and not what anyone else wants. Well, we don't have to get too much into it, but mother is, completely different from a monster movie that is about a mother going through some crazy shit uh it's a very personal story this is it's it's just very different again and the final note i have is that again tarantino said that this is one of his 20 favorite movies since 1992 so two movies in a row where yeah, so it's, it's pretty good. He's obviously doing something for himself, you know? So. He's a bong tail. Uh, just a note at home, a weekly reminder for the folks at home that uh, uh, discretion advised, Stephen and I will, us New York Americans will be botching the Korean language, we'll, but we're going to do our absolute best as we try <laughs> week after week. But uh, yeah, just please bear with us. Let's give it our best shot here. February 9th, 2000, Mortuary. 8th U.S. Army Yongsan Camp, a pathologist, Scott Wilson, finds his lab is dusty, specifically the bottles of formaldehyde. He orders his Korean assistant, Brian Lee, to pour the 200-plus bottles of toxic chemical down the drain. Begrudgingly, this assistant obliges. It's just ridiculous to me that the setup is like, the formaldehyde bottles are dusty, get rid of them all. Yeah. Well, it says a lot that it's this whole, the whole beginning of it, it's inspired by like something that's seemingly so irrelevant. It's kind of like, ah, they're dusty. You know what I mean? It's just, and yet it creates a whole rabbit hole. Han River, 2002. Two men fishing in the river find a mutated fish, but it gets away. October, 2006. This movie had like three just like openers and it was like, this is crazy. October, 2006. Park Gang Du Song Kang Ho. Our boy. Our boy. This guy is, uh, I think, in four or, yeah, he's in like four of Bong Joon Ho's seven movies. He's so good. Yeah, he is. Uh, Park Gang Du is sleeping on the job. He is working the counter of his father's food kiosk right alongside the Han River. This guy, though, let me tell you, this guy can sleep through anything. This guy's <laughs> easy sleeper here. Uh, Park Hee Bong, Bayun Hee Bong, wakes his son by throwing food at him. Gang Du must cook squid for a customer. As he grills the food, his daughter, Park uh, Hyun Seo, Go Ah Sung, comes home from school. She's mad because it was career day at school. Not only was she the only kid whose uncle showed up, but the uncle was drunk. Worst of all, Hung Seo couldn't call her father because her cell phone isn't working. Gang Du brings his daughter into the kiosk, shows her money he has been collecting for a new phone, 
It is a jar of coins, mostly of dimes, as his daughter points out. They turn on the TV and watch Park Nam Jo's Beidou Na Gang Du Sister. Art. They're watching the sisters' archery match. Nam Ju's archery match. As they watch, Gang Du's Gang Du hands Hyun Seo a beer. She's in middle school now, so she could drink, right? Right. Why not? Like, no, have mean, a, that's have how, a beer. It's fine. That's how old we all were. This guy's you know? father of the year. Yeah. Park pulls his son away from the TV to give customers food. Got to bring him this squid, man. Got to get that squid. Got to get that squid. <laughs> Gang Du makes his way over to Matt Four, but everyone on the riverside is focused on the blob dangling from the bridge. Suddenly, badass. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's badass. What, what is the thing's name? Guomel? I the think it's Guomul. The monster's name they gave is Guomul? Guomul? Yeah, that sounds right. Swippy, Slippy, Swampin, Swanson? Swampin? Samsonite. All right. Suddenly, <laughs> <laughs> suddenly, Guomul, the monster, drops into the water. Gangdu throws food at the monster. Everyone around him follows suit. The river is still, but screams on land are approaching. There's a will Wilhelm screen at this bar. I think it's 13 minutes in. It was yeah. a note from earlier. Wilhelm screen. Um, That's the, funny. The, the monster on land is on the hunt. Gang do with the help of an American soldier, Donald White, played by David Joseph Enzelmo, tries to attack the monster. In the attempt, White loses an arm and Gang do is covered in the monster's blood. Violent stuff. Violent stuff. Violent but stuff. We're jumping right This into right violence. here is also like something that Bong Joon like this is a some symbolism right here that an American has fallen America was or is seen as like the strong arm of the country or the world I mean and this guy is literally losing his arm not even he can take down this monster right now like yeah you should panic because not even the Americans can protect you yeah I mean you just took the the words out of my mouth that I was going to say is that the part of the many foreign cultures is they is americans are always seen as, as superior they're always seen as these top smart tough whatever big well, they're seen as the assholes of the world but the ones who ultimately are like the strong asshole right you know kind of like biff in a way no it's it's right but it's so it's a good note to that early on even the american because, like, I mean, I know, like we said, like, it's it's a depiction of the point of view. And so even the American can't face and up against I don't mean to put, like, I, I don't want to speak for Korea. Because I, you know, I've never been there and I don't really know. But in reality, America and Korea's militaries work very hand in hand. And America is seen as the first defender of South Korea if the North were to ever really attack. So to sure. see America, their shield against danger fall, that is like that symbolism right there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's keep our going. first metaphor. Hyun Su leaves the kiosk. Out of nowhere, Gang Du grabs her hand and they run. As they sprint forward, father and daughter trip. Gang Du picks himself back up and grabs the hand closest to him. He realizes too late that it is another little girl's hand. Hyun Su is taken by the monster. The military, the rough, rough stuff for everyone at this point. But the military finally arrives and they close off the riverside. At a convention center, the victims of the attack and their families gather to mourn the dead, including Nam Jo and Park Nam Il, Park Hee Il, 
it's interesting that both that two of the three siblings were named uh, Nam first. Like, I, I don't speak Korean. Maybe it means nothing, but well, I, don't know. I know that the reverse. Like, they'll put the last name first when well, they write it out. Well, that's why their last name is Park. But right. Nam so, is the first name of two Nam of the Ju children. Nam Ju and Nam Il. I don't know if Ju and Il are the more important. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's like Lun Lil, if it's like something I just that's think that. it means that, like, they are closer than with Gang because he sure. has a completely different name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, Nam Il is furious at his brother for losing Hyunseo. The two brothers begin to fight and the news cameras swoop in for the footage. This is another thing that we've been talking about with Bong Joon-ho, his fixation on the media. And the media is literally around this entire situation right now, filming the scandalous sequence of a brother fighting a brother in a convention center for the victims. Park breaks up the fight and swears revenge on the monster. A man in a yellow hazmat suit Yellow One, Kim Ro Rio Ho, who was in Murders, uh, Memories of Murder. Yellow One is surveying the people and falls. He quickly gets up and tries to regain his posture, which was pretty funny. Yellow One gets everyone's attention for an announcement. Everyone at the attack or anyone who has come into contact with anyone from the attack should raise their hand, which it's going to be everyone in this fucking room because people were there or if they weren't there, they obviously came into contact with someone who was there because those people are there. Right. Like, why are you even asking? Just round everyone up fucking up. Everyone raises their hand. Nam Il questions what is going on. Yellow One turns on the TV, but the news is not on. As he is channel surfing, more hazmat suits enter the building with a disinfectant fog at their back. Everyone is rounded up. Gang Du, who has the monster's blood on his face, is bagged and taken separately. The news finally begins to play. The American CDC is getting involved as White, the American soldier, is breaking out in hives. A new virus is suspected to have been released by the monster. At the hospital, the Park family is all together. Gang Du receives a phone call from Hyun Seo. She's alive and in the sewers. Filthy. Filth. The doctor thinks Gang Du is having a nervous breakdown. The Park family uses Nam Il's connections to break out of the hospital for a fee of $11,400. With their new truck and map, they make their way to the sewers to begin their search for Hyun Seo. I kind of minimized it just for time's sake, but that whole sequence was pretty good. Their breakout sequence. Oh, I love it. It felt kind of um, like, because of the curved uh what's it called garage it kind of had gave me dark night vibes i mentioned when we did the wes anderson podcast that it felt like every single movie he did better or worse that wes was upping his game he was kind of like what can i do bigger and better or what can i do that's going to expand my my resume and it feels very similar to what bong is doing here because and i'll i'll get more into this in, in the final thoughts but it's like you can tell he's kind of like okay i've done like gone from a uh, you know, dark comedy to big crime thriller, but now it's almost like, you know, with the genres and the monster movies, like how do I do like action sequences and how do I do these big broad scopes of like, it's like he's really using his budget to every every penny, you know what I mean? He's really showing that he can do a lot of flashy showy tricks. And that scene was a great example of that. The Riverside has been taken over by the military. 
A disinfectant fog pervades the air. Seijin, played by Lee Jae Young, and Seiju, played by Lee Dong Ho, homeless brothers emerge from the sewers to find food. They break into the park's kiosk. They break into the park's kiosk and grab as much food as they can, but not money because that would be theft. <laughs> I thought that was the fun- like a funny line. Like, don't take money because then it's theft. Like, you're already stealing shit. Um, to we mentioned, I think we mentioned in both episodes that like you see the sprinkles of what of the personality that would come out in in Parasite. Like all these little elements in Parasite, and this is one of those moments because you're remind. I'm reminded constantly watching these movies that Bong Joon Ho is at, at heart he's a comedian, even if he's telling a, poli- a political commentary. He yeah. sprinkles comedy and he sprinkles his humor. When it works, it really is genuine. On their way back into the sewers, the monster attacks. Seijin dies, but Seiju is now a prisoner with Hyun Seo. The family takes a break from searching to eat ramen at the kiosk. Gang Du sitting up falls asleep. Park this guy, to- I'm telling you, can fall asleep anywhere. His anywhere. daughter is taken, and they're on the hunt, and this guy can still fall asleep. He loves to sleep. <laughs> Park asks his other children if they really think Gang Du is so pathetic. Without hesitation, they say yes. <laughs> Rough stuff for Gang. Really rough stuff. Park then explains how Gang Du used to be smart, but he was not given enough love or protein, which clouded his mind. Yeah, the monster. I, I don't know. If that seems like a pretty uh, lame very excuse, blunt, but... very yeah, very disrespectful. The monster finds a kiosk and attacks. Park shoots the monster, and it falls with a squeal. It quickly gets up and runs away. The Parks pursue, but quickly run out of bullets. Park orders his children to go back to the truck. Park is dropped to the floor by the monster and is and is dead. The whole sequence with uh, Park dying, the military was swarming and he was telling his kids to run. It kind of reminded me of Lord of the Rings and Gandalf. He ba- he basically should have like turned to them and said, "Fly, you fools!" You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, he, he knows what's best. The monster quickly leaves as the military makes their way to the site. Gang Du is bagged. The news cuts in. White has died. The military is preparing Agent Yellow, a biochemical weapon to kill the monster and stop to stop the spread of the virus. Nam Il is seemingly sick, uh, seemingly getting help from his friend, Fat Gravara, which, tough break for that guy. His name is literally Fat Gravara. Really they sick. go into an office building to trace Hyun Seo's phone call. However, Fat Gravara has sold his friend out to the police who are ready to attack. As soon as, as soon as Nam Il gets the information, he makes his escape by cutting the building's power, locking the police in a room. Tough look for the police of this uh, city. Like, they can't even catch this guy? Are you kidding me right now? No one was on the ground? You were all upstairs? It's terrible. Uh, it, it was as easy as locking them up. Uh, anyway... He calls his sister with Hyun Seo's location and falls off a bridge to evade capture. Nam Jo, with her her bow quivered, makes her way to the sewer, but is confronted by the monster. She's knocked unconscious into a narrow crevice. The monster cannot get her. Nam Jo managed to call Gang Du with the information, but he is being prepared by scientists. While the anesthetic did not kick in, the scientists commenced with taking samples from Gangdu. An American doctor, Paul Lazar, takes charge of the sa- takes charge of the sampling. While doing so, he admits to his assistant that there is no virus. 
which rough stuff. What a twist. What a twist. White died due to complications from his surgery, not from a virus. And the the U.S. is covering it up. Gang Du understands and repeats the two words, no virus. The doctor prepares Gang Du for a lobotomy. Meanwhile, in the sewer, Hyun Seo and Seju are trying to stay calm, talking about food. Hyun Seo says that she wanted, she wants a nice cold beer. They have created a rope from the clothing of the dead, but it is too short for them to reach. The monster then comes back to its lair and purges countless bones from its system, which was really gross. It's very creative when they did they did that. They very there's lots of little details throughout this movie that you I feel like you don't see in other monster movies. Kind of like when you've talked about the smell last week. Uh, for those um, who did not who have not joined us last couple of weeks, we Stephen referenced that uh, Bong Joon Ho often references little details like the smells, um, which comes up in Parasite, of course. You know, you haven't thought of the smell, you bitch. Smell. And have we? We've even talked about that in the Friday Thirteenth uh, podcast, where you know, if this rotting corpse Jason is behind you, how do you not smell him? That was. Uh... I was actually thinking about it, and the only other sequence I could think of that truly like came down to smell was uh, David Fincher 7 when the guy is literally rotting in his bed and there are countless um, yeah. freshers. Yeah, but, no, it's a cool little detail. So with the monster and the bones, and it's just kind of like these little things you wouldn't think about, but they it makes sense, you know? Gang Du's surgery is complete. As a nurse approaches him, he springs into action, grabbing the nurse and a needle with his blood. Using the thread of his blood and the virus, he escapes. It was pretty easy for him to escape, too. That was like... Pretty crazy. It's cut, pretty cut and dry. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess they're, you know, keeping the plot moving along. Uh, Nam Il also awakens from his unconscious state. Under a bridge, he finds a homeless man, played by Yoon Jae Moon, he has ta- uh, who has taken care of him. The unlikely pair get into a cab and make their way to the riverside. The driver tells them that there is a demonstration going on by the river and that they will be paying quadruple the price. Nam Il says that it is all right with him that he and the homeless man will make patrol bombs in the back seat. Yep, like just chilling in the back seat of a cab. They're building bombs, and the cab driver's just I love like, it. yeah, you just pay me four times the amount. You're good. I love when characters get creative in movies like this, you know, disaster movies, war movies, whatever. It's just, and then there's characters, like, sitting there scheming something on the side. It always creates a... a... It wasn't even on the side. It was, like, <laughs> right there. It kind of reminded me of, like, Taxi Driver when... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You know... Travis is just driving around and people are literally fucking in the back of his cab. It's really wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I just love it. I love the subtlety. I love that, you know, he doesn't really care. It's just, I don't know, it really adds a lot of uh, personality to this movie. Down in the monster's lair, Hyun Soo is with a nearly dead Seiju. There isn't much time before he dies of starvation. Hyun Soo attempts to escape, but the monster ensnares both children. Gang Du makes it to the monster's lair, but too late. He chases after the monster, stumbling across his sister. The monster does not pay the siblings much attention. Instead, he makes his way to the demonstration. The protesters clear out as fast as they can. As the monster begins to attack Agent Yellow, the biochemical bomb is unleashed. The monster, in a weakened state, falls. Gang Du uses this opportunity to pull Hyun Seo out of the monster's mouth. Hyun Soo did not survive, but she managed to save Seju. Yeah, I couldn't believe she didn't survive. 
Um, that was pretty crazy yeah, to me. We'll get to, we'll get to that. Um, the monster attempts to make its way back to the river, but is hit again with Agent Yellow. Its body begins to decompose. Enraged, the Park family also begins their attack. Nam Il throwing his bombs. Nam Ju shoots a flaming arrow, and the monster combusts. Then it tries to make its way to the river, but Gangdu stabs it through the head with a sign pole. The monster collapses. The clear sky breaks through the yellow fog. We could talk more about that sequence. It was really, I thought it was well done. Just uh, mm -hmm. because you've been building to this confrontation. And yeah, you have the shock of Hyun Seo dying, but it enrages the Park family to a point where like they literally just attack this monster. They come together finally. Like I know it, a typical hero's journey for all of them but they're all kind of down in the dumps starting in this movie and then they obviously have to fall lower with their father dying and each of them literally becoming unconscious at the same time and now they're back on the rise because they want revenge on this monster well, well that's what i liked about how this movie went about with its not just its climax but the whole building to it is that there could have been plenty of big action moments and there there were a few but like it's really it builds to fruition for all these characters down to this one moment like like you said like, it's like the hero's journey and each of them gets their role to play but they didn't spoil us with any of these kind of big dramatic moments throughout the film like there's like spurts like i said there's spurts of fast-paced action and plenty of character development but it really all boils down to this climax and it was it was handled really well it yeah. really could have been this giant sequence with gunfire and explosions and there's some of that but like it does not feel boiled down in the way that like a lot of american films approach big blockbuster disaster monster movies you know what i mean there it's so it's you feel like it's more the character story than the whole like uh i don't know than the blockbusters story you know what i mean it's really the characters taking center stage so it is winter. Gang Du has taken over his father's old establishment. He no longer has the bleached blonde hair and is watching the water vigilantly with the shotgun ready. Sleeping in the kiosk is, si is Siju. Gang Du wakes him up. Dinner is ready. Gang Du changes the channel from the news showing the USCDC to something more entertaining. The pair continue to eat. The end. So let's get into the awards. Josh, do you want to remind the people what the awards are? I would love to. Just to remind the good people at home, the awards uh, for uh, our Bong Joon-ho show, it'll be best or worst character, uh, best genre bend, like we said earlier, the genre's taking, changing course for a moment or two, uh, the worst moment for the lower class, the best list, and of course the best metaphor. So Stephen, I don't know if you want to, kick us off i can kick us off best or worst character i went with my worst character with the worst character which was paul lazar who played uh, the yeah. american doctor just because i don't know if it was the acting or if it was bong joon ho's like i i don't know what it was but the acting was just off it was such a like mustache twirling villain to the point where I was like I can't take anything you said seriously and maybe that was the point the fact that like this guy is evil incarnate but it just wasn't working for me dog it wasn't it's, working. A, it's very interesting you say that because it's like he seems to know how to bong knows how to direct Koreans very well 
and I can direct I mean, Americans too. What and Snowpiercer, right. we'll get Snowpiercer and Okja both have uh, uh, American actors who put on great performances. But it's interesting that he does this like it's interesting, say mustache twirling villain because that's definitely how that character. I think feels. that's just the way that the character was supposed to be like what they were trying to do but it just like i was saying it wasn't working for me it was sure. too much it was too just like yeah there is no virus mr bond <laughs> <laughs> no of course um i went with a best character i had a i mean i really liked a lot of these characters um there were a couple i didn't like but i just i ended up uh, going for the uh, grandpa or the father uh beyond Park, yeah. um it was very interesting seeing this guy show up again. Uh, very quirky. Um, it's just kind of like the, the the bitter old man, but it was all just like, uh, it was good comedic relief. It brought back a lot of family elements in, seen in other movies that are not monster movies. And that was a kind of pure representation, almost like um, um, not quite Alan Arkin in um, Little Miss Sunshine, but it's kind of like, because there's a lot of, I, uh, I compared the, a lot of this movie uh, to Little Miss Sunshine, but it's like very, yeah. So, well, I'll save it for the the very end. But it's yeah, kind of yeah. like the reminder of like a dysfunctional family, and I just think of the grandpa and I, or the father, uh, you know. And um, I don't know. Every time he came back, I was kind of reminded of what this movie was about for me. So that was mine. Yeah. So tell me, what is your best genre bend? Um, Honestly, I, I have to say as much as the movie was like said to be a monster movie, like, kind of a horror, uh, and as much as it, you know, had action moments, I actually went with, um, uh, it actually was real comedy for me at certain points. Notably, maybe place, but like when they were like mourning the dead and they're all wailing on the floor, mm-hmm. was this like overly dramatic moment that was like almost like comical and like that's supposed to be such a sad moment because they're all so, and again, it's like, maybe it's just the culture or the way that they were handling it, but it's just so overly dramatic that to me, I, th- I thought it was intentionally funny, but there were plenty of comedic moments throughout the movie. Like even them stopping to eat food and they have, you know, these discussions that are not, have nothing to do with the monster. They have these real life discussions. And sometimes like the banter actually made me laugh. And I thought that it, really focused on the comedy elements. I mentioned that while we were doing the plot breakdown in ways that, memories of murder didn't at all because it wasn't going for that um and you know barking dogs was a dark comedy always so it's kind of like to see a movie that's a monster movie going for aiming for the horror genre to break for these comedic moments really stood out to me this movie is uh, arguably funnier than bong joon ho's dark comedy yeah but that's just me yeah yeah, Um, yeah so for this award I, like you, I could have gone with a comedy scene. There were a bunch. But the one I'm going to go with is Nam Jo's walk away after she shoots that flaming arrow. Because that's like a scene from a superhero movie where she walks yeah. away slowly as there's an explosion right behind yeah, of her. of course. You know, he's to make an homage. I was like, this is a pure, um, what's it called? Superhero movie. He really mil- milks the genre moments. For worst moment... Uh, for the lower class, I went with the homeless brothers stealing from the kiosk, but also having moral principles not to steal money. It's kind of the worst moment and the best moment for the lower class because even they have the line in the sand that they will not cross, which makes them sure. nobler than most 
people. And in a way, it's a fuck you to the rich, saying, like, not all poor people are as bad as you think they are. It's a like, very they're desperate, but they're not this desperate. Like That's a great moment. So that's my choice. What about you? Um, I went with the sequence where uh, the family going from the hospital to the black market to smuggle for supplies. I know, I mean, the homeless characters make more sense in terms of like this, this category, but I just think that you have this family going through not just a, um, a, a pandemic, but a crisis with this, you know, this monster. And then they're going to break out of the hospital and they have to, and they talk about how expensive it is. And then they have to go to the black market supplies. And it's like this moment of pure desperation for the family. And it's this moment that you realize how on the bottom of the food chain they really are. And, and even those characters seem to have a pretty normal life in the beginning. Yeah. So like, even though they're on a higher class than the homeless characters, they still show that struggle in a way that I felt like, okay, they're starting to hit like desperation. Like they're starting to get to rock bottom. And so that was the moment I went with. They always do. All right. Best twist. Tell me. I think I ultimately, I have to go at the end. I have to go with the dead daughter. It's really I thought only was, never mind. I thought you were gonna go with something else, but go no, on. I, I I wanted to, but because like what I really like about it is that it's not it's it's unconventional. Bang Jun Ho pays so much homage to other genres and other films and other stereotypes that for him to not end it with them saving the daughter is I mean for me it was it's unexpected because it's like of course, you're banking the whole movie on them saving this character. And then what it does is it's, you realize that's not what the movie was about at all. Kind of like Memories of Murder, like the, with the ambiguous ending, it's kind of like, you realize this is not what it was about. It was not about the daughter. It's not about saving the daughter. Sure, that's yeah. the literal plot, but like, you really, it makes you step back and realize it's, it's about the friends we made along the way, you know? It's also <laughs> about giving Hyun Seo a journey of herself because she like her family sacrificed everything to save someone because she saved C, uh, C. Joe. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's about. It She saved someone just like her family saved or tried to save her. She is a part of the family. She wouldn't just sit back and do nothing. Absolutely. Uh, uh, but tell the good people at home your best twist. My best twist was the fact that there was no virus. That's what that was my that was my runner up in my head. Yeah, uh, what a twist! I mean, isn't that what twenty twenty is all about? This fake virus, and fake I'm news. kidding, I'm kidding. But uh, of course, we don't want to make it political. But uh, that was quite a twist that there was no virus. I thought that. Uh, I mean. It makes sense because Gangdu didn't really have any symptoms other than him scratching his back for like a couple sequences, but in the end, it was uh, pretty good. Yeah. Anyway, best metaphor. I went with the monster itself, which was clearly a metaphor for America, splitting wow. people up. No, just you, you took the words out of my mouth. That was almost like word for word, but my... Uh... The monster equals American government, I said. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty obvious, this one. Like, pretty on the nose. It, like we said in the beginning, Bong Joon-ho's movies, even if they don't seem political, are political. 
And it's just very interesting to me that Asian directors or Asian filmmakers use America as a launching pad for monster movies because Godzilla is about the nuclear bomb. That is how he emerged. He's a destroyer of cities, just like a nuclear bomb was. Yeah. So, and now this, years later, we have a monster in another movie, which is incarnated an American ideal of just like destruction. Well, and and I mean, just to add on to what you're saying, because this was that was, I mean, like I said, that was pretty much my cat, my pick. It was the monster itself. Is that even like I said, even the monster genre it, itself. Uh, attaching to the horror genre and I, I think I said this last week is that looking at the best horror movies the metaphors themselves are that like you know what's really going on what's the commentary behind the serial killer or the or the creature or whatever the subject matter is of a horror film the best ones have something to say beyond the facts right it's just a standard it's just a placeholder like sure we watch these movies for entertainment to feel terror but there's but especially with Bong, it's like there's he is clearly making a deeper message here with his metaphor. So it's interesting. So, He's going for entertainment, but you know, also going a little deeper. But like yeah. you were saying, I think that's a. I think we're done with the awards now. So Josh, tell me, how is this movie like Little Miss Sunshine? Well, thank you for asking that, Stephen. I know it's a weird thing to bring up, but I actually watched this movie years ago, and it was the first thing that came up, um, and it came up again this time because it is is it's a family coming together for one cause. Uh, and it's really, for me, it's just watching a dysfunctional family kind of very comedically uh, tear itself down, kind of. You realize all the kind of ups and downs of each of the family members. I think each of them had their core moments, you know what I mean? And like they showed how each of them is dysfunctional in their own way, but how they all succeed in their own way. Um, You've got the character who dies, uh, the family member who dies, you know, throughout. And it's kind of like at the end, it's this, they're two very different movies. And yet that's the movie that came to mind. It's not my pick of the week, but it's, I think I had actually used Little Miss Sunshine as a prior pick. But um, it's just that whole idea of like, hey, here's what the movie's about, like literally. And then it's the, there's the plot. Little Miss Sunshine, she's going to a dance contest. And this, they're saving a... <laughs> a daughter from a monster they couldn't be more different and yet it's a kind of like a road trip movie like both of these movies are about family on a literal journey but as they're here you're just like i said through dialogue and through humor they're kind of completely clashing and you learn it's not at all the movie you thought it was that and the grandpa dies so that's the that's i think it's really what solidified it i'm like huh, well you know the grandpa dies in both movies so um and then they gotta be connected somehow they, well, I mean, as you heard, I just made a whole uh, case but, for myself. But, uh, you know, this uh, Little Miss Sunshine got an Oscar for Alan Arkin. So a little bit of a different mm. situation. Same year, actually. 2006. I didn't even realize. Yeah, they are. Wow. Um, that, that just blew my mind. Woo. Anyway. But so let's there hear, was no uh, direct effect. Um, anyway, my overall take is that, again, I know we said this before, but once again, Bong Joon-ho just shows how versatile of a director he can be. It's just staggering how he can go from one genre to the next and yet retain his autorist qualities. So many tropes that he puts in his movies just keep emerging. I mean, instead of a basement 
this time we got a sewer, but it's the same general concept, a dark, uh, cold area where you're putting discarded things that need to reemerge. He touches on politics, which we've gone on about in nausea, at nauseam, so I'm not going to bring them up again. But time and time again, we're hitting these same notes, but in such a different way. And it's just fascinating to keep going down the line and watching Bong Joon-ho switch genre, but keep the core principles. Yeah. He's saying very similar things. I, I mean, I think, um, I don't remember what we said could have been a shared universe. Oh, we said uh, Barking Dogs could have been a shared universe with Parasite. Yeah. But to a degree, most of these movies that he does could be a shared universe with all the other films on his resume because there's a they all the characters behave the same way and they all talk the same way and and that's the style it's the signatures is that it's not just comedy or horror or thriller or detective mystery whatever you want to call it whatever he's doing and just to tag on what you're saying is that he's just keeping a rhythm he's keeping a style you know and it's just that's an impressive feat because how do you change genres and how do you change pacing and tone and and vibe and like they're so their movies could not be more different and yet you watch them in the watching as we've done with the other shows we've done watching them in a row makes you realize what is so unique in how similar they all are this is no different but if we can i'm not how do i say this this isn't really a deep dig it and it has more to do with the fact that it came out in 2006 but the monster could definitely use some touching up now oh sure i mean yeah i feel like if you went back and just tweaked it up cleaned it up a little bit it would be um more effective more effective yeah and again it's it it was probably revolutionary in 2006 i haven't watched um heavy cg movie from 2006 in quite some time it's just right now it's pretty noticeable yeah i mean that's really i mean i guess it's one of the only downfalls but again that's why i think focusing on the characters and what really makes the movie work as a as a screenplay like as a as a in terms of dialogue and the inner working themes it almost makes up for the fact that like i mean of course it's distracting in the sense that the monster is the literal focus of the movie but Mm -hmm. so much of the runtime is devoted to just characters discussing and dialoguing so i think that's where it outweighs versus something like a Godzilla movie where, you know, you look at Godzilla uh, 98. Yeah. You know. You know, once again, the fam, like you were touching on the family dynamic is really good. But Bong Joon-ho, I feel like something that has fallen, like in our conversations has fallen untalked about. Obviously today we touched on it. It's just how good Bong Joon-ho is at interpersonal connections in his movies you know memories of a murder uh a lot of the characters just get closer and in this movie they're getting closer too it's about reconnecting a lot of the time and i feel like we haven't really touched on that but it is a general theme that has come up time and time again because even though in dogs uh there was no like no uh, connection in the beginning between some of the characters toward the end, they had at least an understanding of where they came from, which is kind of where Bong Joon-ho is talking about. And that's kind of the 
concept of a lot of his movies in regards to the symbolism for his country. Like we need to like come together. We're one peninsula, but I could also be making the Korean. No, I think that's, 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 no, it's good insight because what it's, I think what works is it's ultimately, I mean, it's a cliche, but it's like, it's really, it's the characters and what they learn rather than the plot itself or however you want to wrap up that kind of, However, you want to paraphrase right now, right now, over, over me, me. You know, it's very dirty stuff. But it's <laughs> like, like you were saying, it's like, but like if we we talked about in barking the barking dogs episode, how similar it is to Parasite in terms of its classism, which is just it's inevitable. It's just you have a uh, you have all rankings of different kinds of characters, be it janitors who literally lurk in basements and characters that we talked about being on rooftops and being in the higher class. So if that is a parallel to Parasite in classism. The host is a is a complete predecessor to Parasite in terms of its characters coming there and the family dynamic, and that's the Little Miss Sunshine element I was talking about. It's yeah. really like you have all these characters kind of like really cu- they're they're in it in a literal tight space, but then they're in a an emotional tight space. They're kind of all unraveling at the same time, and ultimately it's funny because all these roads seem to kind of be leading to Parasite and like even realizing it and backtracking to Parasite is very interesting because you're starting to pick up all the elements that lead to that movie. Yeah. Um, it's almost like it's the, it's the, uh, it's the end game of all of these, you know what I mean? It's like, if there is a shared universe, it's all leading to this one uh, kind of, yeah, we say that, but you know, Bong is not done working and hope. Oh no, of course not. But turning this out is... work equaling Parasite. But... but in the timeline of this show, it's kind of very interesting that it keeps coming back to Parasite and that's the latest movie per yeah. this recording. <laughs> Uh, so I think that's a good place to end our conversation on this movie. Tell me, do you have a pick of the week? I do. And I, I, I just feel like it's, there were actually, I'll, I will say, cause like last week it was kind of, or the last couple of weeks, it's like, I feel like it's obvious. And so I feel the same way with this, but I actually feel like there's a couple picks you could have gone with, um, in terms of monster movies. My mind went to different places. I had thought of, you know, movies like Jaws, uh, um, but uh, I think ultimately I have to give uh, kudos to the the original Godzilla from 1954. Um, I've heard of it. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's just in terms of a movie that spawned um, not just pop culture, but even parody culture, and then like kind of sub-genre culture of all different kinds of monster movies, kaiju movies, and um, big uh, robots, and you know stuff that inspired Pacific Rim, or like. Godzilla is what kind of spawned and a movie like the host to even exist. You know what I mean? Like we've gone so far from Godzilla from 1954 that all the movies are starting to influence each other. And like we talked about in the beginning of the show, it's like a giant cycle of just movies influencing one another, but it really comes back to that. And of course, like you said earlier, Godzilla was really uh, inspired by the nuclear bomb and it's, there is a deeper message. And just because the special effects and the terror were what they were for 1954, there's something else to be said. And that's ultimately the key of any good monster movie is what's really being said here. Like you and I keep reiterating at this whole show. And yeah. so I feel like that's the grand, the great grandfather of monster movies. And so that's the thing I do. I'm going to stick to my guns. Tell the people at home. I'm going to go with uh, The Brotherhood of War. It is a 2004 Korean film about the Korean War. It is heavy, but it is beautiful. 
Um, it has kind of, it's, I'm trying to, I feel like the Winter Soldier kind of mind from this movie a little bit, because, uh, you know, I don't want to give any, I don't want to give any plot points away, so I'm not going to say anything, but ultimately it's about two brothers fighting on the opposite side of the war, uh, North and South Korea, and just how deep and how political the war between North and South Korea got, and it's told from the perspective of a South Korean director, so it's very personal for him. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and like, and like the host, it has a lot of family interpersonal uh, moments, and it's about separation and co- and the need or want to come back together. So that's my pick. That's good. I think that'll just about do it. That'll do, Piggy. That'll do. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Mr. Filmart. Same with Letterbox. Josh, where can the people find you? You can find me on Letterboxd. Uh, it's uh, Beesh, B-E-E-S-H, as always. And as always, you can follow the podcast at Who's Filmography on Instagram. Next week, we will talk about Bong Joon-ho's 2009 film, Mother. Not to be confused with Darren Aronofsky's film. 2017. Mother! Mother! See, there's an exclamation point. There's a big difference between Mother and Mother. So we will see you next time.